If you were introducing Jesus to someone for the first time, what would you say? How would you introduce Jesus? Someone maybe who had never heard of him before. As Mary's son? As a rabbi? A healer? The son of a carpenter? Or how about the Messiah? Or Savior? Or Son of God. During the seasons of Advent and Christmas that we've just come through, we often focus on texts that are surrounding Jesus' birth. And and those texts, they proclaim some amazing things about Jesus, about who he is. Now, although the Gospel of Luke records one incident from Jesus' childhood, other than that, in the Gospels, There is a long period of silence between Jesus' birth and when Jesus begins his public ministry, when he's about 30 years old. And so, in in some ways, when Jesus comes onto the stage, there is this almost new introduction of him that we see in the Gospels. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at how the Gospel writer Luke, we're going to be focusing on Luke, how Luke introduces Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. So in this series, Introducing Jesus, um, each week we're going to focus on different aspects of Jesus' identity, of who is this Jesus, and and specifically looking at, at how Luke introduces Jesus, how Jesus introduces himself at the beginning of his public ministry. In today's text, uh, we're going to hear what John the Baptist says about Jesus, Um, And then Jesus actually comes onto the scene for the first time as as an adult in Luke's gospel. And we see that Jesus is baptized by John. And then God himself makes a proclamation of who Jesus is, introducing Jesus to the people at that time. So my sermon title today is Spirit-Empowered Son. We're going to look at how uh, this text, how this this opening text in Luke introducing Jesus, introduces Jesus as as this, as a spirit-empowered son. And what that means, and we're going to see how also, how Jesus' identity also impacts us as well. So our text is Luke chapter 3, verses 15 to 22. And uh, you can follow along on the screens or on your Bibles as well. Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you 
I am well pleased. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at uh, your word to us this morning, as you proclaim through your word who Jesus is and, and what that means for us, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your voice, Lord, that you would speak powerfully to us and that you would shape us in line with who Jesus is as well. So speak Holy Spirit now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this, this passage that introduces Jesus as an adult uh, for the first time, about to begin his public ministry, we're going to focus on three aspects of Jesus' identity that we see in this text. And in each case, in each one of these elements of Jesus' identity, we're going to see one overarching point that I'm hoping you'll, you'll see today, is that we are given Jesus' identity when we believe in him. That we are given Jesus' identity when we believe in him. So I'm hoping that, that, that we'll, you'll understand that, we'll unpack that throughout this message today. But the first thing that we see about Jesus' identity in this passage is that Jesus is baptized. Um, Luke doesn't spend a whole lot of time describing Jesus' baptism. We see more of that in, in Matthew's gospel. Uh, but he just says in verse 21, when all the people were being baptized... Jesus was baptized too. Um, earlier in December, I, I actually preached a sermon on the first 18 verses of this. So actually, the beginning of the passage, maybe it sounded a little familiar. I preached on a few of those, pass- those verses back in Advent. Um, but one of the things that we saw in the beginning of, of this chapter is that we're introduced to what this baptism was that John was doing. What, what kind of baptism was John the Baptist performing? Um, and so in verse 3 of this chapter, we're told... He, meaning John, went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John was calling people to repent. And we talked about this back in December, that that what that word repent means is is to change direction, to change your mind, to sort of make a U-turn. And so John is calling people to repent, to to turn from, from the direction they've been going, and then to be washed clean to be forgiven of their sins. Now, this might raise a question. Why would Jesus want to be baptized by John? I mean, why would would Jesus need a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Jesus didn't have any sin to repent of or any sin to be forgiven of. We we see that, that that Jesus himself was, was without sin. Well, actually, in in Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism, um, we read, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? It it would be kind of like Albert Einstein going to a high school physics teacher and saying, can I enroll in your class next semester? I mean, Einstein doesn't need to be taught basic physics. He, he redefined physics, right? He is, he, by his theory of relativity, Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. So why is he going to John asking to be baptized? Well, again, in, in, John, in, in Matthew's gospel, we get a little bit of a window into this. Jesus responds to John's protest by saying, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Now that term righteousness It means what is right according to God's will. And so Jesus sees this act of of John baptizing him as 
fulfilling God's will. He says it is proper. It is, it is fitting for this to happen. Now, why, why, why is that? Well, in being baptized, Jesus was beginning to show his unique role of being our substitute. When Jesus asked John to baptize him, Jesus was identifying himself with sinful humanity. As Luke says, when, when all, everybody else is being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. Jesus entered into our place, taking the role of one of us. Um, Pastor J.D. Greer puts it this way. He says, imagine if everyone in the crowd at the baptism that day had on a name tag with their name and the label sinner. Then imagine Jesus had on a name tag with his name and the label righteous. He'd be the only one there with that name tag. But as he makes his way toward the water, you watch him wander through the crowd, taking off people's name tags and putting them on himself. Jesus didn't need to repent. John was right about that. But we did. And so when Jesus stepped into the water to repent of sin, he was repenting not for his sin, but for ours. For our sin. Jesus, in his role, we see this throughout the Gospels, that that Jesus, part of what his mission was, was to come and to be what we could not be. to, To be our perfect representative, our perfect substitute. And Jesus himself, in coming to be baptized, he is repenting even for us. He's repenting in a perfect way as he comes to be baptized for us, not for himself. And Jesus' baptism was a foreshadowing of what he was going to do ultimately on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus became our ultimate substitute as he took our sin upon himself and died in our place to give us life. He took those sinful name tags of ours that he began to take at his baptism and he he put them and he bore them to the cross, all the way to the cross, paying for our sin. And Jesus begins that role of taking our place, of, of bearing our sin, of being our substitute right here at the beginning of his ministry as Jesus baptizes him. But who is Jesus? The, the first thing that he does, that he wants to make clear, is that Jesus is he's not coming just to be a teacher. He's not coming just to be a healer. He's coming to be our substitute. He's coming to bear our sin for us. We even see that here in his baptism. So how does Jesus being baptized relate to us today? Well, as I said earlier, we are given Jesus' identity when we believe in him. So so as I said, Jesus' baptism actually becomes ours when we believe in him. That that he was baptized for us. He repented for us. That we are credited with Jesus' perfect repentance. We can't even repent perfectly in in ourselves. But Jesus repented for us. And so we are are given that identity of being one who has been baptized and repented in, in Jesus' place. But also, there's another way that this is applied to us in a very tangible way, we are invited into this aspect of Jesus' identity when we believe because we see this in the Gospels that we are invited also to be baptized. Jesus was baptized and he says that we are to be baptized. 
Before Jesus ascended into heaven, in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And so Jesus, the last thing he says before he goes, he says, he's sending his disciples out. He says, I want you guys to now make more disciples, to make new disciples. And, and he gives them two main things to do to do that. Baptize them and teach them. Christian baptism is part of what it means to become a disciple of Jesus. We see this also at the very beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came on the believers in Jerusalem, Peter preached a sermon about Jesus to the crowd gathered there, and the people responded, asking Peter, what should we do? They're convicted of their sin, and they say, what should we do? What's our response? And Peter responds in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter points to baptism as an entry point into the forgiveness of sins and into receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. In our scripture reading earlier in the service, in Romans 6, verses 3 to 4, the Apostle Paul also talks about baptism. And there he talks about baptism as being connected to Jesus' death and resurrection. He says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So here Paul is saying that that baptism buries our old sinful self, washes us clean, and gives us a new life gives us resurrection, just as Christ was raised from the dead. Now, I know that, that there are probably some of you who are here today who have never been baptized. I know some of you have. Maybe you were baptized as an infant. Maybe you were baptized later in life. But I know some of you have not been baptized. And I want to, you know, as, as I'm preaching on this, this message today, I felt just convicted to say that, that if you are someone who believes in Jesus Christ... As your Savior and Lord, if you, if you confess that you are, you're a sinner, you need Christ's forgiveness. And, and if you're trusting in Christ, then there is an invitation to you to be baptized. Baptism, it's not something that we earn. It's not something that we have to, to sort of get to a certain point in our faith and then we can somehow be baptized. No, it's not for some pe- people who have achieved a certain level of holiness Baptism is for imperfect, sinful people. People who acknowledge that they need to be cleansed, that they need God's forgiveness. And so if you've never been baptized, and I I mentioned this in our our announcement time earlier, and you'd like to learn more about baptism, what that means to be baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then I would love to tell you more about it. I'm going to be leading a class on baptism um, in the coming weeks. And so please sign up on that sheet in the back there. Um, there's no pressure. If you go to the class, you don't have to be. But I wanna, I'd love to teach you more about what that means, to be baptized. Um, when the Apostle Paul spoke about his conversion, when, when, when Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and he was converted, he recalled that a Christian brother named Ananias told him, and now what are you waiting for? 
Get up, be baptized, and wash your sin away, calling on his name. Paul, he had, he had gone from persecuting the church like a day before. He's converted, and, and Ananias says, hey, if you believe in Jesus, get baptized. What are you waiting for? There's an invitation there. If you believe in Jesus and haven't been baptized, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away. It's a gift, a gift that God wants to give to us. So the first part of Jesus' identity that we see in this passage is that he's baptized, and part of our identity as believers in Jesus is that we too are baptized, that we're baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection. Now the second part of Jesus' identity that we see in this passage is that Jesus is spirit-empowered. Verses 21 and 22 say, And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. Jesus' baptism was connected to the descent of the Holy Spirit upon him. Now, this doesn't mean that, that before his baptism, Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus' birth itself was even the result of the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus, of course, too, was, was united with the Holy Spirit as being one of, of the persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, he is perfectly united with the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in the form of a dove, it was a public sign that God was sending and empowering Jesus for his mission, for his ministry. In the Old Testament, when God called and commissioned a prophet, there was often a reference to the Spirit of God coming upon that prophet. And so when the Spirit descends upon Jesus, it's a visible sign to the people around him that God has called him, has called him for a mission and a purpose. And it was also an empowering reminder to Jesus that he was not embarking upon this mission alone. In fact, in the passage that we're going to look at next week, in, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, we read Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. We're going to see next week where the Spirit leads him into the desert, actually, to be tempted by Satan. But the point is that Jesus himself, he is led by the Spirit. He is empowered by the Spirit. We see that throughout the Gospels, throughout the Gospel of Luke in particular, that the Spirit guides and empowers him. And the same is true for Jesus' followers. We are given Jesus' identity when we believe in him. And that means that because Jesus is spirit-empowered when we believe in him, we too are spirit-empowered. As I mentioned earlier on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the believers gathered in Jerusalem. And, and for them, rather than a dove coming on to them, Fire rested on their heads on that day of Pentecost. Earlier in our passage, John the Baptist uh, speaks of Jesus saying, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so we see actually a fulfillment of that on the day of Pentecost, right? As they're gathered there, what happens? They are filled with the Holy Spirit and with fire in a visible kind of way. What happened to the believers as a result? They were empowered to boldly preach the gospel. Peter preached his sermon that day, and 3,000 people 
were baptized and became believers. The Bible teaches that as soon as we believe in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1.13, Paul says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So if you have heard the word of truth and you believe it, Paul here says, you have the Holy Spirit. You have been marked by that seal of the Holy Spirit. And we saw in Acts 2.38, in Peter's response to the crowd on that day of Pentecost, the promise of the Holy Spirit is also connected to baptism. Repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not something that you have to earn. It's not, it's not something that, that after you've been a Christian long enough, then, then maybe you're given the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. The moment that you believe in Christ... You are given the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. You are marked with that seal. The moment that you are baptized, you you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that same Spirit empowers us. Just like it empowered Jesus, just like Spirit empowered Peter and those first disciples in the book of Acts. In 1857, here in New York City, there was a layperson named Jeremiah Lanfear. And he started a prayer meeting that was held every Wednesday from noon to 1 p.m. at a church near Wall Street. The first week that that they met together, just a few people attended. The next week when they met, 20 people came. Then the next week, 40 people came. And so they decided to start meeting daily. A week later, there were over 100 people present including many people who were not believers, but who felt convicted of their sin and then put their faith in Jesus at that prayer meeting. And then these new believers began to invite others to that prayer meeting. Other prayer prayer meetings started popping up around the city until within six months of when they had started, 10,000 people were gathering daily for prayer around New York City. Do you know that about the, the history of our city? And, and this movement that started here, it spread to, to other cities. One man who was converted in that prayer meeting visited some of his friends at Sing Sing Penitentiary and gave his testimony there to some of the prisoners. And a man named Jerry McCauley became a believer as a result of, of that testimony. And McCauley later founded a mission here in New York City, the Macaulay Mission, that is still around today, reaching people with Christ. Today it's called the New York City Rescue Mission. But this, 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 this little prayer meeting that this man, Jeremiah Lanfear, decided to start, he felt he wanted to begin to pray. It spread like wildfire. 10,000 people praying around New York City, people being converted, spreading to other cities. How in the world did all of that happen? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't through his genius or, or, or skill. It was a work of God. As, be, as believers prayed, the Holy Spirit empowered them to share their faith with their neighbors. And as people became new believers, guess what? 
they too were given the Holy Spirit, who then empowered them to share their faith with their friends. So Jesus was spirit-empowered, and when we believe in him, we too become spirit-empowered people. We have the spirit living within us, who's able to do amazing things through us, whether you may think so or not. The third and final aspect of Jesus' identity that we see in this passage is that Jesus is God's beloved son. After Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, we read at the end of verse 22 of our text, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And this isn't the first time that that we've heard that Jesus is God's son in Luke's gospel. The angel Gabriel announced to Mary that, that her son would be called the son of the Most High. Luke recorded that incident where, where Mary and Joseph found their 12-year-old son Jesus at the temple when they thought they had lost him. And Jesus' response was, wouldn't you think that I'd be in my father's house? So, he, so Jesus himself identified with that God was his father even at that young age. But here at his baptism, God himself speaks these words to Jesus, calling him my son, whom I love. And God tells Jesus that he's pleased with him. Even before Jesus has done anything, even before he started his ministry, he says, I am pleased with you, Jesus. This is the heart of who Jesus is. He is God's beloved son, he is the unique Son of God, one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is perfect. So God is fully pleased with him. And God's primary attitude towards Jesus is love. Now, if we're honest, when we've been talking about, right, that, that Jesus' identity is given to us, that Jesus was baptized and we are baptized, that, that Jesus spirit-filled and we are invited to be spirit-filled as well, that but if we're honest with ourselves, we, we might kind of realize that, that when we look inside of ourselves, maybe we doubt whether those words are really true. I mean, we are all sons and daughters of God in the sense that we're created by him, but, but the truth is that oftentimes we act like rebellious sons and daughters of God. And although God does love us unconditionally, maybe, maybe you doubt that. Because, of, because you realize that, that you don't always act according to his desires, his will. That oftentimes, actually, you're, you're disobeying his law, that, that you're sinning against him, and you wonder, does, does God really love me? We, we can all probably acknowledge that, that God is not well pleased with everything that we do, or everything that we say, or our attitude. When John the Baptist talked in our passage about clearing the threshing floor and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And he said that that's something that Jesus is going to do. The reality is that, that actually we deserve that for our sin. Jesus didn't need that baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, but, but we sure do. But here's the thing. We are given Jesus' identity when we believe in him. And that applies to this too. That because of Jesus, we are God's 
beloved children. And here again we see Jesus' role as our substitute. Because as we talked about earlier, Jesus, he took all of our sin upon himself and he bore the punishment for us. That, that Jesus actually took that unquenchable fire that we deserve as the chaff. And he took that fire on himself for us. But not only that, that, that he then gives us all of the benefits that he has earned and deserves. He calls us wheat, even though we know that we are really chaff. Going back to that illustration that, that J.D. Greer had about Jesus taking our sinful name tags and putting them on himself, Jesus then takes his perfect righteous name tag and puts it on all of us. He takes our place. As Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That we, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. He's Jesus' name tag. We are righteous. We are his. And so the Father's words to Jesus are also meant for you and me. The Father looks at you and says, you are my son or my daughter, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. He says that because of Jesus. Not, he's pleased with us not because of anything that we've done, but he's pleased with us because of what Jesus has done. And Jesus clothes us. And he's pleased with us because we are clothed with Christ. So our identity in Christ has nothing to do with how much we've done for God. It has nothing to do with how moral or righteous you are. It has nothing to do with anything about you. We are given Jesus' identity when we believe in him. You can't earn that identity. It's a gift. It is freely given. And it's Jesus' identity which has been credited to us. Isn't that amazing? It's almost unbelievable when you think about it. That that's what God, how he sees us. Maybe you're here today and you don't identify as a Christian. Maybe you're searching. Maybe you're, you're seeking, trying to understand who this Jesus really is. And if that's you, I hope you see that Jesus wants to give you a new, incredible, unshakable identity. Do you want that identity? Do you want to be called a son or a daughter of God to know that God is pleased with you, that he loves you unconditionally? Do you want to know that you have been given the spirit? If you want that, it's yours. You just believe that Jesus has done this for you. Be baptized into this new identity and then rest in the gift that he's given you. And for those of us who are believers in Jesus, I hope you see today that your identity is secure. And it has nothing to do with how faithful you are or how much you do for God or anything about you. You are God's beloved son or daughter 
Because that is what God has declared about you. And he is well pleased with you because of Jesus, not because of what you do or don't do. And anything that you do for him, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit who's been given to you. So that's not about you either. Even the good that we do, it is only through the Spirit working within us. And so rest in the fact that you are a Spirit-empowered son or daughter of God. And trust that the Holy Spirit will lead you and empower you just as he led and empowered Jesus, as he led and empowered those first disciples. And as you embrace that reality, watch what God does in you. As he transforms you, as he as he causes you to actually live out these things in your life through the Spirit, as you begin to follow him, not in your own strength, but in Christ's strength. And as, you, as he does that in you, you and I get the privilege of introducing people to Jesus so that they too can receive Jesus' identity as they believe in him as well. Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed that you would call us your own sons and daughters of yours. When we know our hearts, we know how deeply we run from you and we try to rule our own lives. And and Lord, you look at us and you say, I am well pleased with you. Lord, we know that, that you're not well pleased with our sin. And yet, we who have received this gift of your grace have been washed clean and our sin has been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. So when you look at us, you see Jesus. You see righteousness. You see perfection that is not ours, but is Christ's. And we pray, Lord, as we embrace that, that truth that, that, when, that we have your identity, Jesus, when we trust in you, that that would change us, Lord, that we would want to live for you and that your spirit would empower us to follow you in our lives and to proclaim this good news to the people around us so that they too will know you and your love for them. We praise you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.